0: said, you know, I don't see anything out there that really is what I would uh, want us to do here at Tri-City. And I said, well, what's your idea? He said, well, let's produce our own. And so that's how Kids for Truth came to be. I tried to lay low when the decision was made here for Kids for Truth because I, I, I wanted to make sure it was the Lord's will for Faith Baptist Church, but I was sure thrilled when the decision was made, and then I think I told the story of how it all started there with us in Kansas City, yeah. um, and, and Bob is genuine. One of the things I really appreciate about him, he's real, he's approachable, he, what you see is what you get, and like it or not, yep. what you see is what you get. <laughs> And I'm so thankful that he's here to share with us the importance. I I was thrilled with what Pastor Caleb sent out last week about the importance of children's ministry. Bob knows you you take care of the kids and the parents will come. And we saw that. We were able to see amazing growth because of children's ministries and the way that, uh, that's what people are looking for right now. Some people, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm preaching no. a little bit. Some people think, well, you gotta—you got to change all your standards. you got to get more like the world. you got to have all these toys and all these things to get young families to come. No, what you need is to, to minister to their kids. And they'll come. And they'll come. The children's ministry is so important that we had a, a full-time director of our children's ministries, and I was very fortunate to have big Bob.
1: But, Bob? Yes, sir. I got a question. Yes. Yes, Pastor? Are you saved? <laughs> Brother, God save me. I, I, forgot, I, well, I, I know that. I know.
0: <laughs> but but uh, um, you, you, you had a bad accident. And uh, I I just want to make sure the folks here know that you have a solid foundation. You're not the only one. I had other people. I had other people coming up. Okay, so I turn it back over to Big Bob. So let me finish that.
1: (laughs) Oh, give glory to God. Thank you, Dr. Herbstur. I. He's just so much of his ministry DNA is in me, and especially now that I'm a pastor at a church. And uh, I was just I was telling him the other week, you know, I had to baptize. These five, uh, five of the ten and I said I look back to when you were my seminary professor and you took us into the church baptismal one day and gave us, uh, us seminarians lessons on how to properly baptize people so so much of Doc is in me and I praise the Lord for him uh, he's, he's just been uh, it's just a, it's a privilege and joy for me to just have him here I love you so God saved me, June 30th, 1995, as a camp counselor, as a Christian camp counselor. It's usually not how it's supposed to work at a Christian camp. But I, I was just so sick of fighting. And the night before God saved me, I had led one of my campers to the Lord, Michael Saunders. And he was a pastor's kid, and he came to me broken and while I was leading him to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God was just actively and intensely at work. And I remember thinking thoughts like, he's getting something I've never had. He's getting the real deal. And God, the Holy Spirit of God was pleased to just convict me until about 3 a.m. when I told him, I said, if you'll just leave me alone, let me get some sleep. I'll, I'll get saved in the morning. Which is not a good idea. Because if he's knocking... You know, you open, you open. And so um, I was fighting again when I woke up and I was trying to relegate all my conviction to some bad pizza or a cold or the emotions of camp. And then by noon, all the fight was gone out of me. And I got with a friend that was 10 years older than me. His name is Scott Linerud. He's actually in the area uh, here and just recently reunited with him and uh, shared some tears together because God used him. Here's what happened. This was my first ever step of humility. And I went to Scott. And here's how I think the Holy Spirit of God works. Is that he gives grace when you humble yourself. He gives grace. And I didn't know exactly what I needed. I just knew I needed something. And I took a step of humility. And I said, Scott, I don't think I'm a Christian. And for 20 minutes, Scott tried to convince me that I was. I was. And he used verses out of 1 John. And after about 20 minutes, I said, Scott, enough. I'm not just doubting. I've just never been saved. And then Scott, I think granted with wisdom by God in that moment, looked at me with eyes of both compassion and authority and says, well, Bob, you don't need to be talking to me anymore, do you? So here's my testimony, the story about how I fought against God and lost and the beautiful ending. June 30th, 1995, I hit the ground. Uh, Room 102, the men's north wing. And I cried out my first ever cry of utter humility and dependence, understanding my need. And I just said, God, please save me. (laughs) And I didn't even say in Jesus' name, amen. But it's not the call that saves, it's the God you call that saves. And even today, I have a pretty dramatic testimony. I got up off the, the ground and looked at Scott, and I said, oh, God save me. And he goes, uh-huh. I said, i got to tell my campers. And so I went, hey, guys, I'm saved. And they're like, this is an interesting Christian camp. <laughs> I didn't care. The pride was gone. I didn't care, because now I knew I had the real deal. When I went down into the depths of my soul, now there was something rock-solid, substantive there. There was Jesus. So he gets all the glory for that. He did it. He did it. He did it. He did it. And that's the conclusion, Pastor. Okay, I
0: just Well, and can I say, you heard the story about how he got confused as a child. Yeah. There's a lot of young people who have gotten confused as children.
1: Yes. Because we
0: haven't handled things properly. Don't try to force decisions on children let the holy spirit plant water god gives the increase and i think it's given bob even a greater burden about that for sure because Mm -hmm. um i i could tell that testimony over and over again not necessarily they saved as a counselor but i mean that they were confused as a child and they were they were counting in a profession instead of a possession and then we wonder what happens when they graduate from Christian colleges and they go crazy. Well, they went out from us because they were not of us. Okay. They would, no doubt, have remained with us, but they went out that it might be made manifest they're not all of us. First John two nineteen, and a lot of it goes back to children's ministry. Well-meaning yeah. children's workers sure. who just wanted to say, three of my kids got saved, or I had it, and we have that with adults too. But I'm sorry, I just. Uh, he's a testimony of why it's so important and I think why he has such a passion to make sure that the children have the
1: truth so amen so I'm going to just read some scriptures that you all know uh, before I get into this powerpoint and this this powerpoint is going to be a little bit more academically demanding but I think there's going to be a blessing there for you I'm gonna do my best 2 Timothy 3.16, if you know it, quote it with me. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. When you hear the word doctrine, some of you automatically kind of turn off. And it's like, that's boring. Doctrine. We don't need doctrine no, doctrine is what we just were spending time in in Psalm 78. It's those parables. It's those dark sayings of old. It's that set of teachings that leads us to God, to faith in God. But there's a verse that's often um, neglected. And it's right above it. Right above verse 16. And I just want us to think A few little thoughts before we hop into the PowerPoint. And I think this is a great, great New Testament verse. When you're trying to root why you do what you do in children's ministry, and you're trying to think God's thoughts after Him in children's ministry, here's a great New Testament verse. 15. 2 Timothy 3.15. Timothy that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Yeah, man. Timothy. He was memorizing Galatians, Ephesians, Revelation. <laughs> what did he have? The old scriptures. He had the Torah. The Torah probably would have been magnified over the other two parts of the Hebrew Bible. The Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, books of Moses. We, we would refer to them as the books of the law or the Pentateuch. You know what that means, Pentateuch? Five Penta-tuch. It's a stocking cap they wear in Canada. Five tukes, eh? No the Pentateuch, um, he would have that. That would have been, that probably would have been priority in his world. He would have the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel. He would have the writings, Psalms, Proverbs. And now look at what Paul says under divine inspiration about those scriptures. This is beautiful, folks. And this really should color your whole idea of the scriptures because I think so many folks view the Bible this way. Well, the Old Testament was God's plan A, didn't pan out real well. New Testament is God's plan B. That's doing okay. No, Jesus is a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Old Testament is God's story of how He was going to bless all nations through one nation did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? Verse 15, And that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. How? Through faith. So folks, the Old Testament stories that we bring into our junior church and our Sunday school lessons, it's not... It's not to be like, go and be like Moses. Go and be like Noah. Go and be like Abraham. No, folks, God has made it so certain that everybody except Jesus is not Jesus. All of those guys have massive warts and faults and flaws. There's only one serpent crusher. All those other guys were just serpent kickers. (laughs) And they pointed to, they pointed to the ultimate promised nation blesser, Jesus. And so in Luke 22, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. And he says, and it's them, it's the scriptures which testify of me. And then he makes the audacious claim How are you going to believe me if you don't believe Moses? Because Moses wrote about me. So no matter where you land in Scripture, let's get all the way back to Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. Now, let's get into this, man. And this is, folks, this is secret hidden knowledge. Because I, I, I do not have any formal connections with Kids for Truth anymore. You know that, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not there. I gave it away. All right? Some people think, well, Big Bob, did you make like $2 million? No. We gave Kids for Truth to regular Baptist press. Because dealing with Baptists is difficult. <laughs> and <laughs> the unburdening. The gracious, unburdening that happened that glorious day. Yes, RBV! Here it is. Here's my baby. Yes, and they've taken it, and now um, they, by God's grace, over, I believe over 1,100 churches are using it worldwide, and I was just on the phone with Marina last night and she thinks another 90 churches are going to start up this coming fall. So praise God for this. But what you're going to get is something I have not talked about for over 10 years. Th- this is because Kids for Truth is written when I was there with, with uh, Pastor Carl Hersher. It started in 1999 on pieces of cardstock. And then it graduated to four-color printing. And then in 2002, six area churches in Kansas City began using it And then it just kind of grew out from there. And we got some professional uh, artists to do graphics and that kind of thing. And then it just sort of took off. And when we gave it to regular Baptist press in 2016, there was about 400 churches that were using it. And so they've actually taken it and have done much better with it. Praise the Lord. And just a little side note. I am uh, with, with the gracious thumbs up of RVP They've allowed me to begin, uh, well, we're almost at the finish line um, of publishing a digital Chinese version Mm -hmm. of Kids for Truth. And I was recently on the phone with some Chinese pastors that have connections and and we're kind of like pounding our chest saying, yeah, Kids for Truth is in 1100 churches here in the States. And he says, do you know, brother, when this goes live? It will be in a 1,000 churches overnight in China. So can you please pray that God would uh, bless our little feeble efforts and help Chinese believers to get a a firmer doctrinal backbone? But what I'm going to cover is really the DNA of how and why it was written. Okay? So here I am with Doc Herfster. You know, big church, all right? Pretty intimidating. 1,200, 1,300 folks a lot of kids come into church and, you know, you go down to the Christian bookstore and it's like, children's ministry curriculum is like cotton candy. You know, it's expensive and fluffy, right? It's not filling. And so I had this revelation one day and I thought, wait a second! Kids are not a new thing. (laughs) Like, Great, trusted saints and pastors of old, they had to answer this question. What do we do with kids in our church? And over and over and over again, it led me back to one idea, one practice, and one word, and that word is catechism. And so what is catechism? My goal is to convince you that catechism should be used in all Bible-believing churches And that it is a shame, pity, and heinous mistake that we are not currently doing so. So I just want to be very clear after having parked here, read the Bible, read what church history has done, that this is a, like, we're in good company, folks. And just just at the outset, Kids for Truth really is a catechism at heart. It's what it is. It's a 21st century catechism. So here's my testimony concerning catechisms. I heartily echo Tom Nettles' words concerning catechism. It is spiritually refreshing to meditate on the phrases of the responses and investigate the scriptures used to develop those responses. That exercise has been as helpful in my personal theological education as any other uh, spiritual practice. What catechism is not? Well, catechism... Dad joke. Dad Joe coming at you. Catechism is not a large, deep crack in a mountain where you toss kitties. Thank you, courtesy. Laugh right here. Bless you, sister. May there be rewards. Catechism, when you hear that as a Baptist, like, you automatically have, whoa, 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 No, Bob. Like, you're, you have visions of guys in long, flung robes waving smoke bombs, right? You know, it's like, we don't do that we don't do that. And I would say catechism is not an outdated practice that is worthless to the church. What is catechism? Origin of the word. The word catechism derives from the Greek word katecheo, which is actually found in several places in scripture. The most familiar is Luke 1-4, where Luke explains why he wrote his gospel, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been catecheo. Instructed. Like many Greek words, katecheo is put together from two words. In this case, kata, meaning down toward, and ekeo meaning to sound. Katekeo is to sound down. And here's how you do it. You sound down with a question, and then you listen for the response. So you as a children's minister, whether you work in Kids for Truth or not, Part of your role is to sound down in order to instruct, to know where you need to go. It's like the battle cruiser in the ocean using sonar. What's the battle cruiser doing? Sending down ping. Bing! And then listening. Now, may I suggest, when you're asking a question to a child, that you don't lead them. And, 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 you know, be nodding your head and make it a simple yes or no question. And so now you see that Jesus, he rose from the dead, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know that by rising from the dead, he won the victory over sin, right? Uh-huh. You know, no, I don't think that's the kind of question. Hey, what was Jesus doing when he suffered on the cross? And then you listen. You ask open-ended, subjective questions, and then you listen. And based on your listening, you know where to direct. You know how to instruct. So what is catechism? Well, here's Zachariah, or Sinus. And based on, if their name sounds like an antibiotic, <laughs> you know they're really important in church history. So he actually contributed to the Heidelberg Catechism, and he defines catechism this way. Catecheo means, more properly, however, to teach the first principles and rudiments of some particular doctrine. As applied to the doctrine of the church, and whenever you see the word doctrine, I think you should just think set of teachings. Set of teachings. As applied to the set of teachings of the church and is understood when thus used, it means to teach the first principles of the Christian religion in which case it occurs in Luke 1.4, Acts 18.25, Galatians 6.6. Those are the three verses where catecheia was actually used. The dictionary definition of catechism is oral instruction, a manual for catechizing, specifically a summary of religious doctrine, often in the form of questions and answers. Catechism can refer both to a method of instruction, question and answer, and the content of the instruction itself. Example of a catechism Q&A. Here's question answer number three of 114 from the Baptist Catechism, also called Keach's Catechism. Anybody ever read through Keach's Catechism? Hey, homework. This is this is great. What's the name of this church? Pastor? Faith. No, sit. Faith? Faith? Baptist! Baptist. That's what I was looking for. Uh-oh. Y'all are Baptists. You should, learn, you should know Keech's Catechism. Google it, okay? You can redeem Google today. Go home and search for Keach's Catechism. Alright, how may we know there is a God? Answer. And, and, and when I read this, just think about the beautiful little gold nugget that is attached directly to Scriptures. Because a catechism is only as good as it is attached to Scripture. Amen? We don't want a Pharisaical, man made, man centered catechism. We want a catechism that looks at what all of Scripture says about a certain topic, distills it down into beautiful diamond form or gold nugget form, and then presents it in bite sized nuggets that a child can, you know, get a hold of. How may we know there's a God? The light of nature and man and the works of God plainly declare there is a God. Proof text. But his word and spirit do it fully and effectually for the salvation of sinners. Man, that's good preaching. That is all. There's a whole bunch of meaty, rock-solid truth. And so back in 1990 Seven 1998 when I began this. What I did, folks, I got those big, like five-inch binders, those three-ring binders. You ever seen them? They're like big, thick ones. Are for your taxes. And, <laughs> and pastor, I, I'm gonna confess some sin here, brother. I probably spent a lot of money on our our, our Tri City copier machine. <laughs> I'm serious. I probably printed six, seven, eight hundred pages worth of. Cur- yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> here, not there. <laughs> but, but you know, <sighs> creeds, confessions, catechisms. And I'm just, I'm immersed in these things. And I'm thinking, you know what would be good is to really refine them, boil them down into 12 themes. And so what I did is I had probably six or seven of these books with all these old catechisms. And then I started assembling the questions and answers under one of those 12 themes. And then, further from there, I started thinking, you know what would be great? Is if I could get a top 10. If I could get a top 10. But man, some of these, some of these Q&A, like, I can't throw them away because they're just so good. But I can get a top 10 plus a bunch of bonus ones, okay? And then I began to think, you know what would be awesome? Is if we could tier this For different ages. So we could start when they're real little and just in very, very seminal form, you know, seed form teach that answer and then two years later pack some more truth onto it and then two years later even some more expand and then by the time they're in 5th and 6th grade have a a, a fuller answer that their brain can handle. Line upon line, truth upon truth, precept upon precept. So what is a catechism designed to do? And I think that there's certain uh, illustrations that you can use, but probably my favorite one for Kids for Truth would be that of a jigsaw puzzle. And so I even did this recently with my kid. I bought a 2,000-piece puzzle, 2,000 pieces. And I had her pick three pieces out of the bag I didn't show her the puzzle cover. Mm-mm. No, just the pieces. And then I said, hey, what do you think that is? No clue. I had to pick more. Ten. Twenty pieces, what do you think it is? Now she's starting to make guesses and they're all wrong. And then I show her the puzzle box top and it's this kind of modern art picture of owls. And she's like,
0: damn, I would have never guessed
1: that. So what Kids for Truth is, folks, is a theological puzzle box top. So that When kids are in church, when kids are in Sunday school, and they get a puzzle piece, it's not this disjointed thing. It's not just this, okay, we got a principle today we're going to live out of here. No, it connects. It all weaves together as a beautiful tapestry. Do we really buy into it that if you slice any page on this Bible, it bleeds Jesus. He's there. He's in the DNA of it. I mean the the the, the, the gospel preached. By the way, who is the gospel first preached to? Here, oh, the, folks, you're not going to get this problem. Wrong, dude. You're, you can't do this, man. You 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 have the cheat. You have the cheat codes. All right, come up here. All right, here Confidence. Satan. Whoa. he's right. The gospel is first preached to the devil, probably within earshot. Probably within earshot of Adam and Eve. But what does God promise in the proto-evangel? He says, "I'm going to send the man through the line of the woman, and he." You're going to bruise his heel, but while you're bruising his heel, he's going to crush your head. There it is. Genesis. The first 11 chapters of the book are the problem, and the rest of the book is God's solution. It all works together. 66 books of the Bible written over a period of about 1,600 years by 50 or more different authors with 68,000 plus cross references, interweaving back and forth, always agreeing about its most prime, uh, uh, primary topic, which is Jesus Christ, the promise of the Messiah. And so what is, what is Kids for Truth seeking to do? It's seeking to be kind of that puzzle box top. Or seeking to be kind of that coloring book where you're defining the lines, you're defining those teachings, and then as they become more familiar with biblical theology and the surveys of the books that they're able to color in and color inside those lines, not outside those lines, because progressive Christianity is coming your way. By the way, how many, has anybody in here had any kind of uh, dialogue with a progressive Christian? Okay, I'm, I'm going to step out here for just a second. This is where your kids are going to be living for the next 10 or 15 20 years, maybe more. And it's awful. Progressive Christianity is straight off the walls of hell. It is is John Tetzel with the indulgence, only he's not charging for it. He's just handing them out like candy, like poison toxic candy. And you need to be aware of it because what they do is they stay close to the Bible, but they twist and mangle its meaning. And they have a false Christ. They cherry pick the Bible. That's, that's, that's coming your way. And so the value in something like Kids for Truth is you get this kind of broad, bird's-eye perspective of what the Bible is all about and what is right and what is wrong, what is true. The key word is foundation. Thomas Watson, great Puritan, said, to preach and not to catechize is to build without foundation. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said, by these forms of sound words... The main principles of Christianity, which lie scattered in the scripture, are collected and brought together. By these catechisms, the truths of God are arranged and put in order. The harmony of divine truths, how one thing tends to another and all center in Christ. And the glory of God in Christ, and thus like the stones in an arch, they mutually support and strengthen and fix one another. By these catechisms, the truths of God are brought down to the capacity of young ones. Matthew Henry, I love this. This this really has been a part and parcel of, 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 of my writing DNA as I was constructing the curriculum. Catechizing does to the preaching of the word the same good office that John the Baptist did to our Savior. It prepares the way and makes its path straight and yet like him does but say the same things. Let me tell you, As somebody that loves to preach congregationally now, if I have somebody who has been catechized and understands kind of the whole scope and sequence and at least the lines of Scripture, I know they're getting more. I know they're getting more than somebody who hasn't had that. So, a biblical historical apologetic for catechism, I want to determine is it biblical? I want to look at what saints of old have said about catechism. Then I want to think about what some significant unbelievers have said about catechism and discover the impact of catechism. So here's some biblical precedent for why we do what we do. It does appear that there was a body of authoritative instruction and even a way of teaching it in the early church. Romans 6, 17, Paul says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, that form of set of teachings that was delivered you. 2 Timothy 1.13, hold fast the form of sound words, teachings, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Acts 2.42 says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' what? Their teachings. Second 2 Thessalonians 2.15, therefore, brethren, stand fast, and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our letter. Historical precedent. The question-answer method has a rich history. The Socratic method was a variation of catechism recorded by Plato. Augustine, uh, way back in the 300s and early 400s, uh, wrote catechizing the uninstructed, utilizing the question and answer method and remember folks what we're doing when we try to plug that data in there is really the classical model of education because we understand that some kids aren't going to appropriate everything they're not going to grasp the rich doctrine and ins and outs of the trinity do you? okay okay Try to to understand it and you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it and you'll lose your soul. Amen? So it's important that we teach them and then they have those Holy Spirit, by God's grace, those Holy Spirit light bulb moments where they're able to believe it and sink their teeth into it and understand more about the nature and character of their God. In the early church, new converts had a period of catechal instruction before they were baptized. This period of time helped both the church and convert determine if he really was a convert. The great leaders of the Reformation, Martin Luther, John Knox, John Calvin, attacked the colossal ignorance they met by making catechisms and catechizing. One of the first efforts of the reformers was to return sound catechal instruction to the churches. Now, let me just pause right here, and uh, you're wondering, okay, Bob, are you a reformed head? Are you a Calvinist? No, let me tell you something. I am an equal opportunity-ism basher. Okay. You bring anyism to me, I got awed against it. Here's what I know at age 50. I don't have it figured out. Right. But I know Jesus saves. Amen. And I know that he saves through the preaching of the perfect life, the sacrificial death and the resurrection. Go to Acts and read Peter's sermons, Paul's sermons, Stephen's sermons. Are they Arminian? Are they Calvinist? Are they provisionist? Are they biblicist? They preach repentance and the resurrection. That's where I want to land. Amen. Yes. All right. Okay. So, <sighs> so I get that out of the way. I won't get in trouble. Okay. So, historical precedent: the Baptist tradition is replete with scriptural catechism. Keach's Catechism, late 18th century, a catechism for boys and girls. And here's one where it was based on scripture, but they didn't require them to learn a scripture passage. Question: Does God know all things? Yes. Nothing can be hidden from God. Sutcliffe's, the first principles of the oracles of God. Question, what are those things which are of greatest importance? Answer, the knowledge of God and myself with what concerns my relation to and enjoyment of him. A brief catechism of Bible doctrine by J.P. Boyce. Some of you know him and have read him. Question, does he not influence men to do right? Answer, he does. And it is owing to his grace that we do anything that is good. That's beautiful. Historical precedent from a 1777 letter to particular Baptist ministers in England. Our confession of faith and our catechism for the instruction of our young people are published to the world. And from these glorious principles, we hope you will never depart. At present, blessed be God, we believe there is no apparent apostasy in our ministers and people from the glorious principles we profess. But at the same time, we must in great plainness and faithfulness tell you that catechizing of children is most sadly neglected, both in private families and in public congregations. Our honored brethren, the ministers at Bristol, have lately encouraged the publication of two editions of our catechism, and we do most earnestly entreat you to furnish yourselves with this excellent compendium of true divinity, and that you would teach it diligently to your children in private, and desire your pastors to instruct them, at least for the summer season in public. And there are records of pastors at this time And when they went door to door, do you know what they would do? They would go catechizing. They would sit the family down, and for half an hour or an hour, he would go through a question and answer with the entire family. There's something beautiful about that. We're going to meet believers like that in heaven. Lancelot Andrews, head of the first company of translators of the Old Testament of the King James Bible, he said, when catechizing was left out of the church, it soon became darkened and overspread with ignorance. The papists acknowledge that all the advantage which the Protestants have gotten of them have come by this exercise of catechism. All right. So we know historically that God has utilized the question and answer method to defeat false doctrine and apostasy and ignorance. Calvin says, in the first place, there ought to be an explicit summary of the doctrine which ought all to preach. Next, that they have a common formula of instruction for little children and for the ignorant persons, serving to make them familiar with sound doctrine, so that they may be able to discern the difference between it and the falsehood and corruptions which may be brought forward in opposition to it. Believe me, monsieur, the church of God will never preserve itself without a catechism. For it is like the seed to keep the good grain from dying out and using it to multiply from age to age. And Therefore, if you desire to build an edifice which shall be of long duration and which shall not so soon fall into decay, make provision for the children being instructed in good catechism, which may show them briefly and in language level to their tender age wherein true Christianity consists. John Knox wrote his, in his book of Disciple that the minister must take care of the children And youth of the parish, instructing them in the basic doctrines, and especially in the catechism. Oh, Charles Spurgeon! Have you ever heard of this guy here? He had his own catechism that he prepared, based off the Westminster uh, shorter uh, shorter catechism. He baptized it, and it became Spurgeon's Puritan Baptist catechism. And he said, "I am persuaded that the use of a good catechism." And all our families will be a great safeguard against the increasing errors of the times. And folks, think about what they're saying in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s about pervasive error. And then just look online. Like go to Twitter today and, and, and read some comments under a progressive Christian influencer. It's like there is so much stuff for a young mind to connect to in the world today. Social media, social media is an infection, man. And I tell the kids, look, you can either connect yourself, you can connect yourself to the God of the Word by humbly reading this book in faith, or you can connect yourself to forces and beings that hate our God and want to destroy you by believing lies. I mean, we're in a, we're in a warfare. Like, and it's just in your face in 2023, like never before. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're, we're, we're wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places, against the darkness of this, this world that's influencing. That's influencing. And how does it influence? I believe it influences when you connect yourself by believing a lie. John Murray, what was looked on as a necessary and beneficial practice by the early church and by the reformers has now fallen into such disuse among Christian people that very few seem to have any understanding or appreciation of the subject. I'm going to just keep going because there's a couple that I really want to get to. B.B. Warfield, anybody ever heard of this guy? B.B. Warfield, all right. It is worthwhile to be a shorter catechism boy. They grew up to be men. And better than that, they are exceedingly apt to be grow to be men of God. And then here's some voices uh, outside the church. Julian the Apostate so feared the effectiveness of catechism that he closed all Christian schools and places of public literature and forbade the instructing of youth, primarily because he feared the question-and-answer method of instruction. At the Council of Trent, the Church of Rome said the heretics, and by the way, that'd be you and me if it's the Council of Trent, that, yeah, yeah, we're the heretics. They have chiefly made use of catechisms to corrupt the minds of Christians, teaching them that salvation is through Christ alone, all in with Jesus. No works, just Jesus. That's the difference, by the way, between Christianity and all other world religions. All other religions say "do," and Jesus says "done." To tell us, die. It is paid in full. And then I'm going to finish here. I want to get to my, one of my favorite guys, Jay Gresham Machen. Oh, what a powerhouse in church history. And uh, he, he shared some of his journals that he had found when he was a little boy. And you look at this giant of the faith and you look at what was his foundation. And he says, Popley gave me two catechisms. This is how he spelled them. And probably about four or five years old when he's writing this. One little one and one big one. <laughs> Just like Arlis and I study some of them every day, and Carrie hears me. I have learned a good deal since you heard me last. It is very lonesome without you and Tom, your loving Gresham. Arlie dissected a beetle and let me see him do it, and I like it very much. I have finished Matthew and nearly finished Mark. And then I am going to begin at the very beginning of the whole Bible. Arlie set over his catechism and made only one mistake. It seems to me that on Sunday I can never get enough off my catechism. I like it so much and Popley always hears me on Sunday and sometimes in the week. You know that little book I told you about in my other letter and read some in every morning and I learn one of the little verses by heart and then I find out where they are in the Bible and Carrie looks them out in the revised version and I like it very much and do it very often. It seems to me that Sundays get nicer and nicer because Popley reads me in Pilgrim's Progress and here's me, my catechism! And I like it very much. You know what this is a great illustration of? This is a great illustration of you spending your affections on something that has a return. You know, when you are a kid and you give three, four hours to Netflix and then two or three hours to a first-person shooter video game, there's no return on those affections. You've just just spent that on things that actually steal your heart away from God. But here's Gresham. I like to play hook and ladder very much and build up houses and play that they catch on fire (laughs) because he's a boy. (laughs) (laughs) And I like it very much and do it very much. I read in that little book so much that I forget to tear off my calendar. I like it so much. And then Cotton Mather, the Puritan, says, if you will be at pains to instruct them, and it is, folks, it's work. What we do in children's ministry is not simple. Look, I have about 80, 90 Slavic kids that I'm teaching in junior church every Sunday down. And I have an hour with them. And I leave that hour and I'm like, Ready for a nap. An epic nap. I feel like I've just finished a uh, 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 overtime week. Can I get an amen? Is there anybody else? else? Like, it's not getting easier. It's getting harder. And you've got you to be more creative in communicating and communicating and grabbing a hold of their attention. And yet, and yet, the power of the gospel has lost none of its potency. The sweetness of a relationship with Christ has lost none of its joy. And we have something that the world just simply can't offer in Christ and accessing Him through truth, through doctrine. He's looking for people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. If you will be at pains to instruct Him in the interlocutory way of teaching, that's catechism. You have the experience of all ages to make you hope that vast will be the consequence, vast the advantage. And I'm going to just close right there because I see that I'm over. And I will turn it back over to Pastor Phelps. Bless you. We do. Thank you, Bob. We're going to take a break. And uh, what time is it? It's 11.05. So we'll we'll go at 15 again. We'll come back in at 15 after the hour. And that will be time for our Q&A. So that's what these stools this whole time have been for. You pre-submitted some. As time allows, maybe we can take some from the floor as well. Jordan's going to be the interviewer, and Bob and I will be the interviewees. Uh, But uh, take a break here, and then come back together again
0: at 15 after the hour. Thank you.